Father, we just thank you so much that we can be found in the presence of the Lord God mm-hmm. Almighty. For you said where two or three are gathered in, in your name, there you are in the midst of us. Thank you. And so, Father, we are fully confident of your blessing and your anointing uh, this morning. And we want to lift up Shane and Christine and the outreach that's taking place probably around about this very moment. Uh, Lord, uh, down there by Christine and Shane's batch. Uh, Lord, and we pray that your blessing would be upon them, that the anointing of God would break yokes and shackles, that you would set the captives free, that people would come and that their eyes would be open, that they would see this glorious, loving Father who wants to do so much for them. And so, Father, I pray that you would give them salvation for for their efforts, that you would encourage them, that Kakia would be touched for Jesus. Lord, I pray that there would be a real anointing uh, upon upon uh, that group of people as they gather. Lord, as we come to the Word of God this morning, we're so grateful to you for your Word. Lord, your Word gives us hope, it gives us life, it gives us everything that we need. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take these words and that you would break them as bread, that you would feed us, that you would anoint us, uh, and that, Lord, we would be uh, those that experience the glory and the blessing of the Father this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name. of the resurrection, because as has been said many times this morning, unless the, the resurrection holds up, then Christianity falls to pieces. And so it has been one of the most uh, attacked doctrines in the scripture, but you know it's one of also the most successfully defended of all, uh, of all, the, te- uh, all the text. Many a sincere and devout atheist coming to attack the, the scriptures and being adamantly opposed to Jesus has examined the evidence and become Christians themselves. The evidence is overwhelming. This morning, uh, and last Easter, we, we looked at the proofs for, for the resurrection, and so I don't intend to do that this morning, but we will touch on a number of things that I feel are, are really relevant and important to uh, our uh, walk with the Lord today. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, I'm uh, sorry, 28, And we're going to read just a couple of verses there. Uh, Matthew chapter 28. And uh, we're going to be reading from verse 1. Hallelujah. Matthew 28 and verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, uh, the, the, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Remember, those were the guys that were sent to, to make sure that nobody came to steal the body. Now suddenly an angel of God rocks up and uh, causes absolute consternation. And these guys are are lying on the ground like dead men. Verse 5. And the angel answered and said to to the woman, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Go before you into Galilee. Sorry. uh, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. 
There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. You know, the Christian faith can be summed up in just two words. He's alive. He's risen. Amen. These are powerful truths. And that our lives have been changed and transformed from one of darkness and utter hopelessness and despair into one of hope and joy and life and, and life's become worth living because we're serving Jesus. How many can say that to your testimony? Say amen. 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 It's wonderful to serve the Lord. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? Jesus is alive. Why? Because Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of glory. And every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Does that excite your spirit to think one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess? It does, mine. You know, there's never been anybody like Jesus. He stands high and supreme, exalted above all creation. Jesus is very different. Jesus before whom angels bow and demons tremble. He is God in the flesh. I'm not sure who said this, but it certainly bears repeating. Um, so, uh, I want to read this a little, a little uh, passage of scripture, well, uh, not, not scripture, a little testimony about Jesus. Uh, it says this, uh, Jesus accomplished more than all the armies that ever marched, more than the navies that ever sailed, more than all the parliaments that ever sat, and the kings that have ever reigned. All put together, they have not affected the world as much as Jesus of Nazareth. Can you say amen? He never wrote a book, and yet his teachings fill the earth in just about every library of the world. He never wrote a song, yet he's been the theme and the inspiration for more songs than any individual that has ever lived. He never attended college, but all the schools put together cannot boast as having as many students as he has. He's never practiced medicine, and yet he's healed more people than any doctor on earth. Praise God. <laughs> Jesus Christ stands unique among men. Jesus demands studying because his life is exemplary. His life is amazing. And we're going to look at some of the amazing things that he has done. Really, when you look at his life, he came from a virgin birth. His sinless life, his miraculous ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection are all a fulfillment of prophecy. You know, what, what makes this true is that it was prophesied hundreds and hundreds, in some cases thousands of years before the event took place. You say, oh, well, it was written after the event. Well, you can't argue that because the, the Greeks in about 300 BC uh, translated the scriptures uh, in, into the Greek language and the common language. And therefore, that anything that relates to Jesus had, was already around in the scriptures 300 years before Jesus came. So it is definitely prophetic, and, and archaeology and history will bear that out. And so when you, when you look at uh, Jesus' virgin birth, his sinless life, his miraculous ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection are all a fulfillment of prophecy. They forever declared that he is God. Can you say amen? amen. You see, you hear, you hear people saying nowadays, that Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be the Messiah or the Christ. Uh, Dan Brown, uh, who has been very successful in his attack against Christianity, said that, hey, the church came along uh, hundreds of years later and decided to uh, create uh, Jesus as the Son of God. 
That is simply not true. It's found in the scripture. Jesus acknowledges that he is the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one. He acknowledges that he is the Christ. And we're going to look at a couple of examples. But really, he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Remember what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That's what Jesus was. He was the anointed one. He was the child that was born and the son that was given to us. Hallelujah. Do you remember in, in John chapter 4, there's an interesting uh, uh, transaction that takes place with the woman at the well. And uh, uh, Jesus is, is talking to her, and she turns around and says, you know, I know that when, when the Messiah, the Christ comes, and she uses both the, the Hebrew and the, the Greek terms, so when the Messiah and the Christ comes, he will explain all things to us. And Jesus turned around and said, woman, he, I that speak to you am he. So Jesus directly claimed to be the Son of God, directly claimed to be the, the Messiah, directly claimed. That's not the only instance. Dan Brown, read your Bible before you make movies. I think, yeah. You know, Jesus told the high priest, no less, the scribes and the elders in Mark chapter 14 and verse 61, they, they came to him and they said, Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one? Are you the Son of God? Is what they were asking. And in, in verse uh, 61, uh, they said this, I am. Are you the Christ? I am. It couldn't be more plain than that. These were not just empty words because Jesus said that he would die and rise again from the dead. That is an outstanding, outrageous statement to make. And yet, that was the proof that he offered that he was indeed the Son of God on, that came to earth. He said, I will die and I will rise again from the dead. You know, what Jesus was doing in that statement, he was making a veiled claim that he was the author of life. That he literally had the power to lay down his life and take it up again. Amen. That's what he was saying. I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm going to die. But then I'm going to take up my life again. And that will be the proof that I am who I say I am. And multitudes have died because they've come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And would rather give up this life then deny that Jesus is alive and has changed their life. Amen? Amen. That is the powerful witness. The church is a really powerful uh, evidence that Jesus Christ is real. Because the church has been persecuted, has been banned, the Bible has been burned, there has been unprecedented persecution, and yet the church remains. Why? Because we know that our Redeemer liveth. Amen? Amen. We know that the Gospel is true. We know that the Bible is true. Hallelujah. So, you look at Jesus, he was an extraordinary man. Everything that he did was utterly amazing. Signs and wonders followed wherever he went. Miracles happened. You know, he actually walked on water. He defied gravity. If God created the heavens and the earth, man, walking on water is no big deal. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So he walks on water. He calms the storm with just his word. And, and the disciples are so amazed, they say, what manner? of man is this 
They're beginning to understand that they're living and walking in the presence of deity, that they're dwelling in the king of kings' presence. And they say, what manner of man is this? He multiplies food and feeds thousands of people. He anoints the blind man with mud, and they come seeing. He touches the lepers, and they're cleansed. When the, Ser- the Pharisees got all upset with him, they wanted to arrest Jesus. So they send their, their guards to go and arrest him. And the guards come back and they forgot to arrest Jesus. <laughs> and they said, where's Jesus? They said, man, I never a man spoke like this before. They were so mesmerized and so captivated by the things that Jesus was saying that they forgot to arrest him. Why? Because Jesus was touching the, their hearts with the word of God. And they were absolutely captivated and forgot to arrest him. Why? Because Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. When Jesus speaks, our, our words of our heart are cleansed, our sinful souls are, are healed, our, our, our depraved and sick uh, lives are, are restored to, to wholeness. And things. Jesus offers us the word of hope, the word of encouragement, the word of strength. He alone has the words of eternal life. Mm. I want to talk about one, one simple occasion when Jesus um, was uh, ministering. Uh, he was on his way, and the Bible says in, in Luke chapter 7 and verses 11, he was on his way to a little village called Nain. And uh, he's, the Bible says a large crowd followed him. You know, we, we heard how thousands of people were getting saved. Uh, when Jesus was walking there, there were thousands, perhaps even tens uh, a thousand, upwards of a hundred thousand of people would, would follow him oh. wherever he went. So much so, the Bible says he couldn't go into the cities because the crowds were too big. Yeah. You know, that's that's Ryan Bonke's problem right now. He can't get into many of the cities in, in, in Africa because he's having two, one and two million people turn up to the crusades to hear about the oh. good news of Jesus Christ. And this was all happening in Jesus' day. He had this massive crowd uh, that was following him. And out of the village came this incredible uh, uh, large procession. Uh, it was a funeral procession. A boy had died. We're not told how he died, just that he died. And there was this large wake and funeral that was following. So together these two crowds came and merged. The Bible says it was a, it was a, a, a large throng, a, a, a huge throng of people. Jesus had pity on the woman over her son and he walked up to her and said to her weep not weep not and then he walks up to the, the funeral march those that were bearing the, 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 the son on their shoulders as they were carrying him to the graveyard and Jesus stops the funeral procession and he says to, to the dead arise and he sits up and begins speaking can you imagine what that must have been like I mean, I think they must have been utterly stunned. They, they, they were, uh, the surprise and the consternation, you know, the fear mixed with wonder. Hey, their, their friend who was dead is now alive and he lives. That, and joy begins to explode from this funeral position. Suddenly there's joy unspeakable and full of glory as they stunned that God has raised this person from the dead. They start magnifying and glorifying God. And they start with this, with this chant. God has visited his people. How true, how wise, God has visited these people because he's just raised this guy from the dead. They're no longer going to have a funeral and a wake. They're going to have a celebration because he's now alive. Jesus has raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. Amen. God has visited his people. 
You know, if you put this into context, this was an absolutely amazing thing. Because we had the 400 years between the Old Testament and the, and, and the New Testament, uh, the intertestamental period, um, where, where nothing really happened. There were 400 years where there were no uh, new prophets, no supernatural happenings. And then Jesus bursts onto the scene. And what does he do? He starts healing the lame and the blind and the deaf and the crippled and uh, the, raising the dead and cleansing the lepers and calming the storm and turning, turning water into wine. And uh, it does all these miraculous things. And people are saying, God has visited his people because he truly had. He truly had. God had come. You know, as word spread and these massive crowds were following Jesus wherever he went, the temple began to become deserted. And the, and the religious leaders began to get mad. They were threatened by this miraculous ministry because they couldn't perform the miracles that Jesus was doing. And people were abandoning the temple to go out into the desert to follow Jesus. It was amazing. And so they realized, they thought, man, we have to do something here. Otherwise, we're going to become totally insignificant. You know, our power and our influence are slipping away. And we're becoming redundant uh, in, in this environment. So they had to do something. So these religious men decided to kill Jesus. I want to say to you, religion is a terrible thing. Yes. Religion is a terrible... You need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Religion is the curse, the blight on mankind. In the, in the name of religion, people, countless millions have been slaughtered. Terrible atrocities have been co committed in the name of religion. But you know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot point to any, any uh, believer uh, having committed atrocities like that. Because there's a difference between a religion, a set of rules and regulations, and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will change your life with a better. Can I have an amen? Amen. amen. You see, only in Jesus, a relationship with Christ leads to life. Religion leads to death. I want to invite you to turn uh, to John chapter 18. And I, I want to have a look at a couple of verses as we go through this. Uh, I, I wonder if you've ever imagined the, the time of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And... Uh, uh, you know, kind of figured how many people came um, to to arrest Jesus. You know, you look at the movie, and you know, you, you see maybe a couple of dozen soldiers armed uh, have come to to arrest Jesus. I want to tell you that the Bible paints a very different picture, an amazing picture. John chapter 18, verse 1. Let me read it to you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, where a garden was, into the, which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted hither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh hither with lanterns and torches and weapons. I don't know if you read, picked up the distinction there, but Judas actually had two groups of people. He had a band of men, and he had the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. 
When yeah. you, uh, and that's, that is an incredibly important distinction, because when you go and look up in, in, in the Greek what this word band is, it's not there. It's not there. It's actually a Latin word. When you look up the word band, it's a Latin word, and it means spira. That's the word. It means a mass of people. But more technically, it means a, 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 a military cohort. Uh, uh, so that, yeah. that's very significant uh, when we begin to understand that, that it's a, a military cohort. So it's a technical term. Where did he get it from? I mean, he, he was not in the authority to get a band of Remember that they were all against Jesus. Psalm 2 oh, talks okay. about the king's so breath. Supplied him Absolutely. Yeah, because Rome was not very happy with Jesus because he, he was offering an alternative kingdom. And so the Romans were just as keen to see Jesus die as, as these, some of these Pharisees. And, and what it, but the, but this, this word, uh, band, is the word spirit, and it literally means a Roman cohort. If you look up in, in any military dictionary, a cohort is this. Between five and six hundred men came to arrest Jesus. And that was not the only band, because there were two groups. The spirit, the five to six hundred, well-trained, well-equipped, well, -trained, well, -equipped, well uh, uh, with all the, the armaments that you could wish, came to arrest Jesus. And in addition to that, there were the officers from the temple guard. There was a massive crowd to come and arrest one man. Why? Because Judas had told everybody, he says, you've never met a man like Jesus in your life before. This man raises the dead. This man walks upon water. This man turns water into wine. You've never encountered a man with such supernatural powers. And so they have this massive group of men that invade uh, the, the, the temple, uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, to arrest Jesus. Very interesting. Um, if you look at verse 4, there's, there's another little nugget that we want to dig out here. It says, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should happen, uh, that should come to him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am he. If you look in verse 5, the words, I am he, the he is italicized. And what that, what that tells us, and this is why I love the King James, what that tells us is that the word he was not in the original language. It has been added by the translators to hopefully bring clarity. And in actual fact, I think it, it obscures much of what should, should have happened. So what Jesus actually said, when they said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus, Jesus stands up and says, literally, I am. You realize when Moses was sent uh, into the wilderness at the burning bush and God commissions him to go and deliver the, the people, he says, God, who shall I say has told me to, to, uh, to, to deliver these people? I he am. said, what is, what is my name? I he said, I am that I am. Hallelujah. It's the exact same phrase in, in John chapter 8 when, when, when Jesus has been confronted by, by his enemies and, and Jesus said, before Abraham was... I am. And I said, but you're not 50 years old. How can you be before Abraham? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus was claiming that he is the great I am. That he is God in the flesh. And they were so incensed by that, they were picked up stones to stone him. Hardness of man's heart. 
speak is amazing. So Jesus reveals himself to those who oppose him in the in Garden of Gethsemane as Jehovah in the flesh, as God Almighty, the great I Am. And power is released as soon as Jesus says I Am. Look at verse 6. It says this, As soon as then he said unto them, I am he, he went back, they, they went backwards and fell on the ground. These military legions, this cohort of well-seasoned, well-equipped, well-trained soldiers, as soon as Jesus said, I am, suddenly are slain, and the might of Rome is lying sprawled on the ground before Jesus Christ. And one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess Amen. that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. I love that. The might of Rome splattered on the ground when he said, I am. Who is like unto our God, glorious in holiness, fearful of praises, doing wonders. Mighty is our God. Can anybody get excited? He is our rock. He is our light. He is our salvation. He is the almighty, omnipotent God. And he is the immortal, eternal, immortal, the only wise God. To him be glory and honor and praise forever in heaven. So Jesus came with one express reason. Why did he come? He came to give his life as a ransom for sinners. I don't know about you, but I, the devil wept when I got saved. Because I was one of his best disciples. I was really, if there was a wrong way to do it, I did it. If there wasn't, I invented it. I was one of the devil's best disciples. And one day Jesus came into my life and gloriously saved. He came into the world to save sinners. He came, look, it's not about being righteous. You know, it's not about, hey, I'm holier than now. No. Jesus came for the lost. He came for the sinners. He came for the outcasts. And I thank God that he did because I was amongst the outcasts. I was walking in darkness. The Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray. You know, that's true. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor, whether you're a priest, whether you're the right reverend or the, even the pope. The Bible says, we've all gone astray. Every single one of us. All means all. We're all lost. And the Bible says we've gone astray and the wages of sin is death. So what's that saying? We've gone astray our own way. You know, it's often people who are respected don't think they are sinners. But it's it's going your own way, ignoring God. That's kind of behaving like the most difficult people to save are those who think that they are good. Good people are the most difficult people to save because they don't realize their, their own depravity that they lost. But Jesus came to save sinners at the wages of sinners' death. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. Jesus became our, our, our substitute. We had all sinned. We were all worthy of death. We were all worthy to, to be crucified. That was our fate. But Jesus loved us so much that he became our substitute. And he came and he died in our place. He paid the price for your sins and for mine. He laid down his life and he carried our guilt and shame. In other words, he took our punishment. Man, I'm just amazed that anybody would think enough of me even to be nice to me. But to do what Jesus did is extreme. Jesus said, you deserve death. You've violated my laws. You've broken my commandments. You've done everything wrong. But I love you so much. I will take your punishment. I will die in your place. Man, why does he do that? Because greater love has no man than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. Jesus came to forgive us. 
for our sins and for our wrongdoing that you and I could go free. Hallelujah. In the words of the old song, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash away my sins. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace all day long. Jesus Christ paid the debt I could never pay. Hallelujah. Jesus loved us so much that even though we, we, we had done everything wrong and messed up so badly, you know, that, that's what I love about the gospel. It says, to the whosoever. It's a blanket check for anybody who wants to come to the cross may receive uh, salvation. Anybody at all can be completely and totally forgiven of all their sins and their iniquities, all their wrongdoing, and be completely justified in the sight of God. That's why Jesus came, because he loves us so incredibly. You know, Jesus went willingly to the cross, knowing and understanding its horrors. The Romans were master butchers. They knew how to kill someone, stab him here, break his neck like this, gut him like that. They knew how to kill. They were experts in the art of killing. But you know, crucifixion wasn't just simply a means of killing someone. Crucifixion was a means of torture. It was developing a mechanism for people to die slowly, killing them as painfully and as slowly as possible. And even the Roman statesman Cicero said this. He deplored crucifixion as a most cruel and disgusting punishment. You'll be aware that in our English language, the, the most powerful way to express our pain is to say it is excruciating. So that is the strongest way to express our pain. And, and I'm really in, indebted to, to Dr. Dye for her, her uh, Latin pronunciation here. Um, but it, it comes from the, the Latin prefix meaning ex, as an exit, or, or from, or out of. So, uh, and it's from crooks. And it's spelled C-R-U-X, but it's pronounced crooks. Um, and uh, it really means, uh, the, the Latin term is excruciatus, or excruciare. Did I get that right, Di? Spot on. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it literally means to torture, to torment, and to crucify. So the whole idea of the cross was to torture and torment and crucify those that opposed Rome. You know, uh, we, we kill people uh, uh, in, uh, in, in this world today, but we do it very discreetly. We do it behind closed doors. We give them an injection in private. But when the Romans killed somebody, they didn't do it in private. They lined the roads and the highways with bodies. It was like a roadside, a horrific billboard. You know, today we drive down the highways and we see billboards everywhere. So buy petrol here, buy this, that here, buy that over there. So the billboards have a message of where we can get things. Back then, in, in the days of Rome, when they, the, 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 the crucifixion was a billboard too. The message that they were sending to, to the general population is don't mess with Rome or this will happen to you too. And so it was a means of intimidation, of bullying and controlling people as they did that. This person who was dying in public view in, is experiencing the ultimate torture. They were suffering immensely, agonizing, unrelenting, excruciating pain, and the only release was death itself. I want to share 
some doctor's statements about crucifixion this morning. And, and they, are, they are pretty horrific. But I want to say this before I say it. If we trivialize the cross, if we trivialize that and scourging, we don't understand the, the sacrifices of Christ. Nor do we understand the depths of his love or to the extent to which he went to, to redeem us. We need to understand it, it, what Christ really did for us. So understanding his sacrifice is to better understand our salvation. After a criminal had been sentenced to the cross, he was stripped of all his clothes, stripped naked. It was humiliating. It was degrading. It was embarrassing. He was then taken to the whipping post, naked, and tied to that whipping post where a flagrant, a cat of nine tails, uh, leather stripes uh, embedded with bone and, and with metal spikes into it. And that was the whip with which they, they beat the victim. If you recall and have seen the Passion of the Christ, uh, you, you will recall that scene that just before they go out to whip Jesus, one of the Roman centurions holding a flagon walks up to his friend uh, who is sitting at a desk and he hits the desk and the, and the, and the metal in, in the whip actually embeds itself into the wood so that when the whip is withdrawn, you see the splinters actually flying off the wood. That is the penetrating power of the, these spikes of metal ins inserted in the whips. And there was multiple, there were multiple, multiple beatings uh, that, that, and lashes that were accounted for that. You know, Hollywood cannot depict the horrors of the cross. Mel Gibson experienced a lot of criticism for uh, the, the, the graphic or gratuitous violence. They said, I want to tell you something. That is, you study the, the actual crucifixion accounts, that that is not even the beginning of what actually happened. I mean, it is far more graphic and horrific than any Hollywood uh, film could ever tell. An expert in pathology uh, describes the, the torture this way. Over and over again, the metal strips dug deep into the flesh, ripping small blood vessels and nerves and muscles and skin. The victim writhed and rolled in agony and his whole body became distorted with pain, causing him to fall to the ground, only to be jerked up again by seizure-like activities, occurred followed by tremors, vomiting, and cold sweats. Eusebius, one of the uh, early church historians, actually describes in one of his historical accounts a scourging of some martyrs. And I quote, this is what he said, all around were horrified to see them so torn with the scourges that their very veins were laid bare. Their inner muscles and the sinews and even their bowels were exposed. End of quote. In fact, so many people died from scourging, they gave it the name the half death because people died just simply from being scourged and it was called the half death. This is what Jesus endured for you and I. This is what he experienced, knowingly and willingly experienced, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. What an amazing love Jesus had, that he would do that for us. After the scourging, he was far from done. They took him out to be crucified. I want to read you a medical doctor's account. Uh, Dr. Gerald Bradley says about the crucifixion. He says, this is the most agonizing death man could face. He had to support himself in order to breathe. The flaming pain 
caused by the eight inch metal spikes hitting the median nerve in, in the wrist explodes up his arm and into his brain and down his spine. The spikes burning through uh, the nerves between his metatarsal bones of the feet jerks his body erect and then the leg muscles convulse and drive the body back down, beating him against the cross again and again. Air sucked in cannot properly be exhaled until the buildup of carbon dioxide in the lungs and the bloodstream stimulates breathing to relieve the cramps, exhaustion, shock, dehydration, and paralysis destroy the victim. The heart is barely able to pump the thick blood as each of his billions of cells die one at a time. This is what Jesus experienced for your sins and for mine. And there upon the cross, one of the last things he said at the end of all this excruciating torture and agony, Jesus said this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Truly, this was the Son of God, tortured and beaten and crucified. And he says, Father, forgive them. He says that to those who, who uh, actually tortured him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now we have an understanding of the depths and the power, at least an insight into God's forgiveness and why he did that. Why did Jesus do that? Because he loves us. He loves us. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that we would, each and every one of us, choose our own way and not follow him. And the plan of redemption was that Jesus would come and die for your sins and my sins so that we could be reunited with the Father and that we could have a relationship with Jesus that is second to none. This glorious and wonderful relationship. I want to say to you, love drove Jesus to the cross. He, his love for us is why he died. The Bible says that he's, he has loved us with an everlasting love. And that's why he has done this. But you know, there's something even more. Uh, th this is glorious, and I, I, I want to share it with you. Uh, it's about the Isaiah's prophecy. And it, it's something really, really beautiful and powerful. But in order to understand what I'm going to share with you, I want, I, I, I want you to understand three Hebrew words that have been translated into English. Uh, and as we begin to understand the meaning of these words, we'll, be, we'll see this rich and exciting and wonderful uh, good news uh, that, that we would experience. And those, the three words that have been translated into English are sin, iniquity, and transgression. The term sin and iniquity is often used interchangeably. In fact, uh, many uh, Bible dictionaries, if you go to them and you look up the word iniquity, they will refer you to the word sin. So it's used interchangeably. But there are subtle and significant differences in, in, in these two words. And understanding these differences, these little nuances, will, will open up the scriptures to you in a, in a wonderful and exciting way. So, sin is a catch-all word uh, for, for wrongdoing. You, know? uh, you do something wrong, you say, he sins. So it's a catch-all word, and it literally means to miss the mark. Transgression means to cross the line. God has laid down certain boundaries that we should not violate. But man being what he is, has violated, has crossed the boundaries, and, and hence transgressed, and done things that have uh, led to rebellion and wrongdoing. 
the word iniquity. It's interesting. It's not an action, but it refers to an internal twisted desire that leads to sin. And it's demonstrated in Micah chapter 2 and verse 1. Let me just read that, that verse to you. It says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning light, they will carry it out because it's in their power to do it. So iniquity talks about the twisted desires, the wicked thoughts, the corrupted and perverted cravings, the perverted issues of the heart that lead to sin. Now, I want to just lay a little foundation here this morning about some, some English words that, that uh, we're familiar with, but maybe are going to see it in a slightly different light. When a soldier gets uh, uh, shot and he's bleeding profusely, we say that he was wounded in battle. So wounding has to do with outward bleeding. Amen? So if you bleed uh, and you're shot and you're bleeding profusely, you're wounded in battle. So bleeding, uh, outward bleeding is associated uh, with wounding. Now you look at bruising. What is bruising? Bruising happens when the veins beneath the skin have, have been damaged and blood leaks out and discolors the skin round about. So bruising is indicative of internal bleeding. Okay? I'm going with this, uh, so just stay with me a, a little bit longer. I want you to remember the, the definition, just two definitions that we looked at. Transgression means to cross the line, to rebel and do wrongdoing. It, it covers all our evil actions. And iniquities uh, deal with our twisted desires, our wicked thoughts, our corrupt and perverted craving that lead to sin. Now, let me take you to a verse of scripture that you're very familiar with. Isaiah 53. And let's look at verse 5. And now with our, our new understanding of these words, we, we will see something really beautiful. Isaiah 53 at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. What's that saying to us? He was wounded for our transgressions. He bled outwardly at the cross by the scourging and by, by his crucifixion for our evil actions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's inward bleeding for our twisted and perverted desires and attitudes. What is that telling us? That this is complete purification. Total sanctification. This is deep cleansing. An inward and an outward watching of body, soul, and spirit with the blood of Jesus Christ. He bled outwardly and he bled inwardly. Cleanse of our words, of our thoughts, of our corrupt and twisted desires, and all our evil deeds. We are purified, sanctified, justified, made holy by the precious blood. That's what Jesus did at the cross. And he offers complete and total forgiveness to each and every one of us. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. I've experienced Jesus Christ. And I stand before you and I testify that Jesus is alive and he lives within each and every one of us. We call on his name.
I'm going to ask if we could bow our heads in a word of prayer. Just remember that there's power in the resurrection because he lives. He lives salvation to impart. My Redeemer liveth. And he did all that because of our sin and iniquity. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want us to examine our life and examine what Jesus actually experienced, the, the horror and the depth of his suffering that he experienced for us so that we would understand his love for you and I, that we would understand the, the great lengths that he went to redeem us. The truth is, we can turn our back on that we can go our own way. We can say, I don't need Jesus. And you're free to do that. God is, doesn't manipulate anyone. He said, if you do that, there are consequences. There is, there is a hell to, to shine and a heaven to gain. But if you want to go down that road, you can. But if you want to come to me, Jesus said, if any man will come to him, I will in no wise cast him out. The gospel is for the whosoever the most unworthy and the most vile, the most defiled person can find forgiveness and mercy as we come to Jesus. <clears throat> but we must come and we must ask Jesus Christ into our hearts and into our lives. I wonder this morning if we would look at our Christian life and wonder just how well we've been honoring the Lord with our service. Are we lukewarm this morning? Are we pressing in, laying hold of God with everything that we have? That's where to live. That's where true life is found. I wonder if you are willing to rededicate your life to the Lord this morning, knowing the, the extent of the suffering and the anguish and the pain that he endured to redeem us. And you want to give your life back to God. Say, Lord, come, take, take control of my life even more than you have. Lord, I want to serve you this morning. If that's the cry of your heart, that you want to get closer to Jesus because you know he loves you and he has wonderful things in store for you. He wants to bless you. He's forgiven you of absolutely everything you've ever done wrong. Nothing is left and. If you say, Jesus, I want you to serve you more faithfully, I'm going to ask if you would just stand right where you are this morning. Make that stand for Jesus. Lord, I want to get closer to you than I've ever been before. I want to press him. Would you stand? Let me say, I'm the first one standing. I am the first one standing. I'm so hungry for God. I love him with all my heart, with all my life. Father, you see those that are standing this morning. You see the commitment they're making. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters that, Lord, you would draw them into a deeper relationship with you, that they would know that you are their Lord and Savior. Perhaps we could confess, Lord Jesus, with, with our mouth this morning.
It's the same. Lord Jesus, I confess you with my mouth. I confess you with my mouth. And I believe in my heart that you've been raised from the dead. Lord, I pray that you would fill my life now. Transform me. Transform me. Lord, let me know that the, the residence of Christ within. Lord, I want to serve you all the days of my life. Take hold of me. Take hold of me. Never let me go. Never let me go. And help me to press into you like never before. And pray in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for those that are standing and making a decision.